Father, we ask that you will indeed let your boundless love wash over us. And that we may respond to your loving grace with openness and surrender to you and your word. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So what do you want on your tombstone? Last week after a service, someone said to me, I don't think I'll be here next week. I just want to let you know, pepperoni and sausage is what I prefer. (laughs) Obviously not what I'm talking about. But when that day comes, and they put a marker in the ground, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want your life to to be? I was talking uh, a while back with a number of the uh, academy boarding students about some of the practices that are part of their country, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. But one of the things that was clear is that in virtually every place, in the mo- even in the, the the simplest kinds of markings, there's a name. And there's a beginning date and an ending date. But it's the stuff in between that makes the difference. Someone loaned me a, a cartoon from the family circus. Has a father and two children at the cemetery. And the father says, those two dates are the year granddad was born and the year he died. And the son says, that means the little dash between the years is granddad's lifetime. He says, I wish his dash had been a lot longer. The little girl, probably not quite understanding, says, I'm not going to dash at all. I'll be a slowpoke. If only that were something we could control, right? When they put the dates on your stone and they put the dash in the middle, what's it going to mean? What's it going to signify? What will people say about your lifetime? I suspect that it's a question we tend to not spend a lot of time pondering until maybe we're getting closer to when we think that might happen. For most of us, we don't want to think about it. But the reality is, if we want to get to the end of our days and have people say the kinds of things about us that we hope they say... We have to start thinking about that now, not then. Because the decisions we make now are going to lead to the place where people then say on that day, here's how the person lived. And they're going to say something about every one of us. And what we can control, the very little we control... It's the direction we give our lives as that dash moves forward. Now, it's especially important to understand that this is not just about how we feel about us, but about the kind of influence that other people see in us. And this is particularly true of people 
who have made some kind of connection with Jesus Christ. The minute we say, I have a connection with Jesus, we are influencing people for Jesus. We're either influencing them toward him or away from him. Either toward the truth or toward the lies. Either toward our Heavenly Father or toward the evil one. But people are going to look at our lives and they are going to say, they influenced me about Jesus in this way. And last week we talked about someone whose influence for God was so negative that when Jehoram died, no one shed a tear. And this, this week we see the opposite side of that. In the 24th chapter of Second Chronicles, we read about King Joash and we read about the high priest named Jehoiada. And when you get to verse 15 here, the chronicler says, Now Jehoiada was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130, and he was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. When you read that epitaph, you say, wow, that, that's a pretty amazing thing. Jehoiada dies with such a positive influence on people that they bury him in a place, that the, the place they can think of that give him the highest honor, the place of the kings. He's not royalty, he's a high priest. But he's so highly regarded that that's where they bury him. And God said, and the chronicler says, he died full of years, old and full of years. And there are some various places in Scripture where that description is used of people, but only one other time is this exact Hebrew description used. And that's in 1 Chronicles 23, 1, where it says of David that he died old and full of years. He was a man after God's own heart. And that's the kind of person, that's the kind of influence Jehoiada is. And I read this and I ask myself, how do you get to the end of your days and people have so much respect for you? You get to the end of your days and people are saying, he or she did good for the people, for God, and for his temple. Well, when you read through Jehoiada's life, you get a sense of why they would say that. In chapter 23, we find that uh, this evil king, queen has, has uh, usurped the power in Judah, and she's led the people into worship of the Baals and all kinds of idolatry. And Jehoiada risks his very life in order to bring Joash to the throne. And then he becomes Joash's advisor. You think back to when you were seven years old. Imagine at the age of seven, becoming the president of the United States. If that were the case, who would be making the decisions? Someone would be in your ear telling you, here's what you ought to be doing. Jehoiada is just that person. And I can imagine most people in that position of power to be able to so influence every single decision that the king makes, would want to use that to their advantage. You can probably imagine that, can't you? 
And yet Jehoiada isn't interested in himself at all. He's interested in the people, in bringing the people back to God, in the welfare of the people, in the concerns of the people, and what he sees happening among the people, and trying to help them understand, once again, who God is and God's plan for them as a people. And every decision is shaped by that desire. We all know people who have a difficult time handling power. You know, we all struggle with it at some level. I've seen it far too often in the church with kind of tragic and ironic circumstances. I've seen people fight pretty hard for power when we're trying to discuss how to best help needy people. Or people really fighting for power in the group of people trying to figure out how we can best tell people about Jesus. And I have to tell you, I wasn't the only one fighting for power in those meetings. It, it just happens. We're not talking about ruling a kingdom. We're talking about small stuff. But power is so tempting for us. But not for Jehoiada. His concern is doing good for the people. And that good means leading the people back to God and to the worship in the temple. Verse 14 says that as long as Jehoiada lived, burnt offerings were presented continually in the temple of the Lord. He knows what we often forget, that nothing creates a recognition for God like corporate worship. And nothing creates a yearning for God like sacrificial corporate worship. Nothing unifies the people of God like obedient, sacrificial, corporate worship. It's one of the images we see in the early church. In that passage we read from the end of Luke's gospel, the very last part of it says that the disciples, after Jesus ascends into heaven, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Jehoiada is also a catalyst for not just bringing people into the temple to worship, but of restoring the temple because it had been torn to shambles. And he convinces Joash to call the people together and to give so that they can restore it. And they come and they bring what would basically be a temple tax. Everyone has to pay this if you're going to come to worship. I suspect we might revolt against that. You know, people at the door taking our quarters as we come in. And that's probably not a good idea to start. But on the other hand, there is something about God's command to give that we also tend to rebel against. And I'm not sure why we do that, but we do. God gives us lots of commands that we don't rebel against. At least not in the same way. You know, God says, God commands not to commit adultery, and we don't tend to have a hard time with that one. God says, don't murder, and we don't tend to have a hard time with that one. And God says, don't lie, and we realize, yeah, that's a good command. So why would giving be any different, right? We give. And what's intriguing to me is that even though the people give initially because they have to, they realize what's going to happen when they give. And he tells us that they actually give gladly and with great joy. I'm not sure we always give with great joy. 
But it is one of those examples that we set for other people about what we do with what we have. It's significant because most of the time, it's the stuff that we have that we're gripping tightly. We don't want to let go of. And the problem is, it's not just about the stuff. It's a reflection of our hearts. And it's a reflection of our influence. And if we continue to face God with closed fists, we will also come to God with closed hearts. And one of the most... One of the truest ways of, of opening our hearts is to open our fists. And when we become generous with what we have, our hearts become far more open and generous about anything God wants from us and wants to do in us. What intrigues me is about, about Jehoiada is when you get to the end of this, there is a sense in all of this giving and in the restoring of the temple and, and the restoring of the kingdom, there is an enthusiasm for the Lord's work. The people aren't just coming now because they have to. They are coming because they are excited about supporting the work of God and the kingdom of God. In fact, they bring so much that they have to keep emptying out the chest because it's overflowing. So they take it back and they dump it out and they count it and they bring it back and it keeps filling up and they keep taking it out. The spirit of generosity becomes contagious. And people give and give and give. And out of that comes this enthusiasm for the work of God. And I think one of the ways in which God wants us to influence other people is enthusiasm in our faith. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes as Christians, we don't always exude enthusiasm about our faith. And there are times and places to be solemn. But what I find is I read through the scriptures, so many references about the joy of the Lord and the joy of God's people and the joy of God's people coming together. And there is something in that that I think is an influence for the kingdom of God that people are looking for that we're looking for from each other. I think that if you stop and, and, and think about influencing other people, one of the primary ways in which we do that is by connecting with each other. You see, in, with Jehoiada, one of the things that he does is to bring the people together. They come together to give, they come together to worship. And it becomes a part of their regular lives as God had intended it from the beginning. And it reminds us of sometimes the, the understanding that we have about our faith. We typically think that my faith is about me. I, 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 and we've been told hundreds of times that that is true. It's just you and Jesus, just me and Jesus. And anything else and, and the church and the kingdom of God as a whole is important and that's great, but it's somewhat optional. Because really, at the core of this, it's just me and Jesus. As long as Jesus and me are okay, then that's all that really matters. And I think that's wrong. I think we miss out on one of the most significant means of spiritual growth and challenge and encouragement and accountability and blessing by interweaving our lives together significantly. 
as we come together in times of corporate worship and as we engage ourselves with each other in smaller groups and the settings that as they come to us. When you read about the Methodist movement, John Wesley's insistence on small groups is usually seen as one of the most, if not the most significant reason why the Methodist movement succeeded. Wesley called them class meetings and bands, but they were people engaging their lives with each other, connecting with each other, loving each other, challenging each other in the kind of ways that you can't do in a larger group setting alone. And it got to the point where the groups, the the meetings on Saturday night that everyone attended became so large and in such demand that you had to have a ticket to get into that meeting. And the tickets were free, but you could only get a ticket by being involved in one of the small groups. And if your involvement in the small group began to wane and your attendance became sporadic and your involvement really wasn't wholehearted, they would take your ticket away from you. We should try that, huh? Might be me and Jesus right here. That might be it. There is something in that that rings true about what it means to be a follower of God. And it's our calling to be engaged in life with each other and to take seriously the opportunities of coming together in worship and to participate in some kind of small group setting. For the corporate nature of our faith is not optional. It is essential. Because none of us have the ability to be the child of God we were created to be by ourselves. It just doesn't work that way. And you see that through the pages of the New Testament at the end of Luke's Gospel in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2 and on and on you go. I I have no doubt in my mind that every one of us, wherever we are in our journey of faith, has gotten to that point because of somebody else. Maybe more than one person. I've never met anyone who has begun and has continued on their journey of faith with Christ who didn't have somebody in their life, someone they knew or someone that they listened to or watched, who influenced them. It's every one of us has someone. And you think about that person who influenced your life. And now, hear God calling us to be that person for other people. To be the kind of person who engages our life with others. Who is willing to be sacrificial toward others. Willing to go beyond what is just natural. In order to be the kind of influence to them that God desires. But understand, we do not become this kind of influence because we work so hard. It's because... This only happens because we have surrendered our lives to Christ. It's not because we're better than other people. It's because we have simply opened our hearts to let Christ live in us. And his life in us is coming out in influence to other people. If you're like me, you may ask, okay, but what if... Nothing seems to happen. 
what if I, I get to the end of my days and I don't really feel like I've accomplished anything of significance? I can't really measure that much of anything has happened. I'm not, you know, I don't see dozens or hundreds of people whose lives have been transformed because I interacted with them. What does that mean? Well, I guess we would then be in the same situation as Jehoiada. We didn't read on past verse 16, but it's pretty disappointing the next couple of verses that say, After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them, and they abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and they worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Despite Jehoiada's influence, and despite all that he does, he dies and things change. But that doesn't nullify his life. Our responsibility is not to save people. Our responsibility is simply to be a presence for Christ with people. To help make the way to God and understanding God clear, smooth, and inviting. And people make choices, and we can't control those choices, but we can control the choices we make about our own lives. We can control what goes on in the dash. And we can control the kind of influence we have. And from that point, it is up to God and people to make their choices. But it's not just about, I had a one-time encounter with a person and I back off. It's not, well, I, I shared about Jesus with them, so I'm off the hook kind of thing. It's living our life with people, which is why interacting with each other and connecting with each other, both people here inside the walls of the church like this and outside the walls, why our interactions are so important. It's about all of life. It's about Christ living in us and coming out of us in all of life. And my guess is that if you're like me, you're thinking, you know, what kind of significance can I really have? I mean, I'm not going to be Jehoiada. I'm not going to be someone like St. Augustine or John Calvin or John Wesley or Billy Graham. So, I mean, what dent can I really make in this world? Well, that's not really our responsibility. Our responsibility is simply to live our lives in such a way that we are faithful to God. And people see Christ. Our calling is to open our lives to Him so that as He lives in us, He lives through us. And the influence we have and the significance in this world for good might be in our homes, probably will be in our homes. It might be with the people in our room or our suite. It might be in our people in our class. It might be with colleagues. It might be people in this congregation. Our children, college students, academy students, residents who are here year-round. Giving people the understanding of who God is. Of letting Him live through us. I would say that beside my parents whose spiritual influence on my life was monumental. 
I would say probably the person who had the, the most influence in my later formative years was a gentleman named Cyril Carr. He came to teach at uh, George Fox between my sophomore and junior year of college. It was right in the time where I had sensed God's calling on my life and had responded to that and was preparing to, to begin my ministerial courses. I, I found out very quickly, as did others in our class, that this was, this was a different person than we had encountered before. I took a class in the Pentateuch that first semester he taught. And I remember walking out of that first exam feeling like a deer in the headlights. We were talking to each other going, what was that? I've never taken a test like that before. And uh, there were 25 of us in the class. We found out later that out of the 25 of us, there were, I think, two Bs, one C, five Ds, and 17 Fs. I remember going to my mailbox, pulling out my exam and going, I got a D, yes, all right. I mean, I usually was okay with a D. That day I was really excited about getting a D. What so struck me, though, was the next day we went to class and he stood there and he wept and said, I am so sorry. Forgive me. I failed you. Now, we're all sitting there going, you didn't fail us. We just don't know how to study. But we learned. Some people dropped out of the class. It, I ended up taking eight classes from him in two years. And it wasn't just the class. It was the conversations we had before and after and different times of eating together and just watching him with his wife and his, and his little girl and seeing him interact with colleagues and go through difficult times and wrestle with just life. And I remember thinking to myself, I hope that by the time I get into life that I, I could have something, something close to that kind of humble caring spirit that he has. I think the thing that's maybe entrenched him in my memory so vividly is that it was less than a year after I graduated, I got a phone call that he collapsed on his living room floor and died at the age of 32. I don't understand that. I still don't. He didn't have 130 years like Jehoiada. He didn't even have the opportunity to have a couple of generations of students come and to influence them. He just had almost three years. But I am grateful that I was one of the people his life touched. And the question for me and for you is however much time we have, short or long, we have the opportunity to do good for people about God and His kingdom. And to be an influence as we let Christ live in us. Holy Father, We thank you for the privilege of 
of being your people. Father, we know how often we fall short. But Father, we want the direction of our lives to be facing you so that others through your spirit might also be drawn to you. Let us be people who are known for doing good about you and your kingdom. And we ask this through Christ. Amen.